Hey, thanks for taking a few minutes today to tune in. We pray that no matter where you're listening from, these messages are engaging, encouraging, and relevant to where you are on your life's journey. And uh, that's actually where the series that we're in right now has actually come from, that we're tackling some real questions that our friends, i.e., a.k.a. me, a.k.a. you, uh, questions that we want to tackle um, that says, asking for a friend, I want to believe, but... Mic's up. Yes. I need to move my mic. Thanks for trying to do that discreetly, but... Uh, <laughs> My, uh, I'm not really discreetness. I kind of like point out everything. Like if my phone rang right now, I'm glad it's not here because everybody would text me. I'd be like, oh, just give me a second. I'm just ADD, okay? Not that self-diagnosed. Yeah, come on, come on. Uh, I'm, I'm Google diagnosed. Uh, but we're in a series called Asking for a Friend. And it's kind of a tagline, I want to believe but. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation before where you've been asked a question about your faith, if you if you're come from a Christian faith background, that you're kind of like, I just don't have an answer for that. Uh, why, like Our first week we talked about why is the Bible legit. Anybody ever, I remember being in Fort Mac and somebody was like, hey, why do you believe the Bible? Well, I do. Well, where, where's your, where's your um, stats that the Bible's real? Well, I just believe the Bible's real because the Bible tells me it's real. And I was literally baffled at like 20 years old. I'm like, how do I have the answer? But a few weeks ago, we actually started looking into the answer why the Bible's legit and came to find out that it's actually the most backed up book in history. <coughs> I would love some water. Thanks, love. Hopefully nobody else jumps up right now because then, well, that would be awkward. Um, real, right? Being real. Last week, we actually tackled the question, why are Christians hypocrites? And we, we kind of came to the conclusion that um, when Jesus comes into our lives, there's some of the stuff that we're not super proud of, there's some of the things that actually comes into existence, comes, not existence, it exposes. And sometimes to the outside world, it looks like we're hypocrites because we're actually trying to work through some stuff. But what really, really, really turns off uh, people that are, are searching for truth is the fact that Christians would say one thing with their mouths and step outside the door and, and do something completely different. It's like, oh, well, gossiping is bad, but let me tell you a story about this person, right? It's like, let's, let's, let's pray gossip. Let's pray about, did you hear? We should pray for this person because did you hear? Right? We, we kind of sometimes mask it. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is, is that uh, when we're searching and when we're walking through it, it is a process, and you might be here today, and I want to put a little disclaimer on last week. You might be here today, and you, you actually feel like a hypocrite. Because can I tell you something? Sometimes we feel like a hypocrite when God starts revealing things in our lives that doesn't line up with him. Because that feeling is kind of like this, this feeling of conviction. I don't, it's not guilt, because guilt's from the devil. Conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And this feeling of conviction. And we don't always feel that great. But can I tell you sometimes that that's maybe that we're actually getting closer to God? When sin, when sin actually impacts us? Because sometimes we just go around in our sin, in the things that's wrong, and, and, and we don't even know it. But when we start feeling it, we're probably on a journey closer to Christ. So th- today's topic, though, if you've been following on Instagram, if you don't follow on Instagram and you haven't, you need to follow Discovery Church. Because lots of times, it'll give you the idea of what you're coming into. Today, we're actually tackling this question. Instagram user right there. 
I want to believe, but why is God anti-sex? Should we pray right now? Shelly's <laughs> like, yes. I actually went to bed last night. Uh, I went to bed last night after rehearsing this like three times. And uh, I said, Shelly, just prepared. I'm going to say the word sex a lot. She was like, can you use something else? I'm like, no, I'm going to use the word sex a lot. Um, so welcome to church, everybody. Here we are talking about real issues. But the fact of the matter is that so many of your friends, I, I, so many of my friends think that God is actually against sex. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Actually, there's a, there's a lady by the name of, actually, I'm not even sure if it's a lady or a guy, but their name is Bertrand Russell. It sounds like a guy's name, but who knows? A famous 20th century atheist philosopher once said, the worst feature of, Christ, of the Christian religion is the attitude towards sex. And in many spheres of influence and education, the Christian teaching about sex has been uh, oppressed, has been considered to be seen as oppressive and out of date. Many would suggest that the Bible's teaching should be left out of the conversation completely. Margaret Sanger, that's, that's the female. The founder of Planned Parenthood says this, she argued that Christians are moralists who promote self-denial and suppression because of their teaching on abstinence before marriage. Other influencers would believe that if we were to truly have a conversation about healthy sex, about how we are supposed to teach our children and what's supposed to be in our education system, many people would believe that the Christian perspective on sex has no place in the discussion whatsoever. And as I was researching and and reading uh, more in in a few books, because this is not necessarily a topic that you want to research openly on Google, if you know what I mean. So so most of my time was spent in books. But I have to wonder where this animosity came to be felt towards Christian teaching and biblical ideas of sexuality. And the more that I read and the more that I researched and as I, as I prayed about it, the biggest reason that, pe- that came up, the biggest pe- reason that people don't agree with the biblical idea of sexuality is because we live in a society that's built around the priority of the autonomous self. Now I look for a really nice word to call autonomous, but this is what it is. We live in a mindset that if I, uh, that I have the right to do whatever I want, when I want, decide out of selfish interest. We have this mentality, especially in our Western world, that it's all about me. Me, 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 me. All about me. And so much of the animosity towards Christian teaching actually comes when our worldview is that it's about me. And not only in, in a sexual context, but in many other contexts, that the Christian faith never says that it's about you. It's not about me. It's about God. And it's really hard to get a really good grasp on healthy sexuality in a, in a world that says it's all about me. Because it seems that it's, it's against our violation of our basic rights. It, it's, uh, people would say that it's limiting and unnatural to embrace restrictions on our sexual lives. We should be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we want, with our bodies. It's mine. It's only mine. So who cares what I want to do with it? 
That's where a lot of our Western world stands on sex. But another reason that we want to dive into deeper this morning, that, that Christianity, another reason that people reject Christianity and their assumption is that God is anti-sex. I promise you that if you start talking to non-Christians enough, people that are searching for faith, people that are exploring truth, this will come up. Well, I want to believe in God, but I really don't know why he's against sex. People might even be thinking, like, because when they associate with church, lots of times they associate Virgin Mary, and they're like, well, I don't want to pray to Virgin Mary. I don't want to be a virgin forever. Why would I, why would I even do that, right? So we want to answer the question today, is God actually anti-sex? Last week we looked at uh, the Crusades and just, just briefly and talked about how we need to acknowledge our past to be able to move forward into a healthy future. And we can't deny fact, but the reality of it is, is that's where some of our teaching is on, on sex, is that the church has not done a good job talking about sex. Actually, for the most part, the church that Christians, even, even uh, Christian homes, families, schools, youth groups, whatever you may be, if, if we've talked about it at all, it's usually come from the perspective of that it's dirty, it's disgusting. And lots of times, that's the extent of it goes if we get there. But unfortunately, something that God created, and we'll get into it in a moment, in a lot of our Christian circles, we put our heads into the sand and said, well, if I, if, it's, if I don't talk about it, my kids won't learn about it. If I don't talk about it, then it, it, it's, it's not something that I'm, I'm comfortable with. But the reality of it is we've left our kids and our teenagers and our young adults and, and now a generation that says, well, let's learn about sex from the, at a playground when I'm in grade two. Let's, let's, let's learn about sex in the school system because lots of times we know what they teach. I love our school system, but the reality of it is, is that they don't teach a biblical understanding of healthy, appropriate sex life. And we leave it to other people, and as Christians, Christians ought to be actually bringing light into some of the places that have been dark in the past, that we've left it to other people to talk about. And I hope that Discovery Church can be a little bit different, that we can actually talk about sex in a healthy, godly way. If you've grown up in a, in a Christian home, and I know that not everybody here has, but if you have, or uh, I, I grew up in a Christian home. Let me put it there. I grew up in a little small town, Elport, Newfoundland. And my view of sex was that it was dirty, that it was wrong, that it was nasty. We would call it the McNasty. Right? And you'd be like, oh, that's what my friends are doing. That was wrong. But then, this is crazy. So it's, it's wrong, it's dirty, it's nasty, but you better save it for the one that you love. <laughs> Come on. Does that make sense? Not at all, right? Does it make any sense whatsoever? 
But sadly, history can prove why some Christian, why Christians have gotten a bad rap in this area. Let me explain. People have taught that sexual intercourse in, in history is, is only permitted if it's for the intention of having children. That's garbage. Not that children are garbage. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Next. Oregon, who lived in 185 to 254 AD, was so convinced, this is a Christian guy that was so convinced the evils of sexual pleasure that he castrated himself. In some lines of Christianity, people have taught that Adam and Eve couldn't have sex before the fall. So good reason for Christians to be kind of kind of thrown out to the side and be like, why is God anti-sex? Because sometimes people have a belief about God because of the things that we've done, not because of God himself. And even that's like as being hypocrisy. And that's like much like this version of or, or th- what we're talking about today, uh, sex. But we can't ignore what's been done in the past. Now, we have to try to patch it up. But the, one of the hardest things is kind of when we try to ignore it and cover it up, it just be, leaves this big lump under our, under, under our mat, right? Anybody ever sweep up instead of like sweeping into the garbage, you just like sweep it under the mat and eventually like a little lump? I don't do that. Um, but the Bible would say in Genesis 1 and 25 that God created the physical world and called it good. And then at the climax of his creation, he created man and woman. And no matter what you think, man and woman were naked. I'm glad we're fully clothed. But it was after the fall that they felt ashamed. But get this, this is what God says after he created man and woman in his image in Genesis 1 and 31. He didn't just say it was good. He said it was very good. So to understand an accurate view of Christian, or or sorry, to understand an accurate Christian view of sex, this has to be our starting point. We cannot start with somebody's teaching of, of some human who tried to make sense of it. Our starting point for many things that we're discovering, that we're searching, that we're finding, it has to be the word of God, nothing else. So can, this morning, can we bring to light something that may, maybe many of us are even like shivering in our, in our, on our insides, we're like, oh, this is embarrassing, um, I've always thought it was the McNasty, I, 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 if I'm married, I only do it with the light's off, I don't even do it with the light's on because I don't like the way I feel after, like all those things are real, and we're going to talk about them a little bit, but, but can we start and bring some light into something that I believe, I know that God created, and that God wants us to understand a little bit more this morning. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 7 and 3, it says, Husbands should give to his wives, to, to, to his wife, not wives, to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. When Paul is writing to the Corinth church, let me bring some context in this. You've got to understand, now this is going to move from PG into PG-13 a little bit, okay? So, when Paul was writing to the Corinth church, what was happening is that within the Corinth church, there were this, these these false ideas moved in that there was actually um, Christian orgies. And they were like, 
stepsons having sex with stepmoms, and it, this was infiltrated the church. It's, it's crazy when you start looking context, contextually. And then sometimes we think that, man, our, our world is, is coming to an end because of everything that's crazy happening. Guess what? Some of these issues have been around for a long, 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 long time, okay? So when we read the Bible, it's not like some of the, the things that we, we have today um, is not, they didn't know about. Some of the things that we have today, they were living in the center of it as well. So Paul writes here to the Corinth church who's, who has been, been perverted, is, who has this perversion infiltrating its walls. And one of the theologies that started coming out this time was a way to try to deal with this perversion and it was that, that sex is bad theology. Now, looking at all the perversion, it would have been really easy just to say, sex is bad, stop it, all your problems go away, you don't sleep with your stepmother, there's no Christian orgies going on, just give it up, sex is bad. And that was happening, and it would have been really easy for Paul just to jump on that bandwagon and say, yeah, you know what, what's right, sex is bad. But what does Paul do? Paul is a, is a, is a warrior of the faith, and he doesn't, he doesn't say that sex is bad, he hits the problem head on. And this is what he says. He says, husbands should give to his wives her conjugal rights and likewise the wives to her husband. The Bible is not actually telling us to run from sex. It's actually probably telling us to run to it. But it has to be within context. Sex will make our lives messy if it's not within the context of a Bible foundation, man to woman, inside of marriage. Let's watch this video clip. Harris, you can come right here. So what I've done today is I've decided to use um, Fruit Loops as a portrait of sex, okay? It's a picture of sex. I mean, everyone, like, Fruit Loops are fantastic. They're full of sugar. They give you a bit of a buzz. Um, they're good morning, noon, and night, just like sex, okay? So, it really is a snack that works at all times. All right. Okay. So, here we've got, um, here we've got Eris and Eris. Uh, so, this is sex, this is context, okay? God has a planned design, a container, a context for which we should be experiencing sexual intimacy. Okay, so Eris, I'm just going to, it looks a little dusty in there, but trust me, it's fine. Just bacteria, you've got a strong immune system. Um, so we're just going to give Eris some Fruit Loops. Do you like Fruit Loops? Okay, that was good. Because if you don't like Fruit Loops, you don't like sex. Okay. Just kidding. Just kidding, but it would have been really bad if you didn't like Fruit Loops. The whole thing would have fallen apart. We would have needed another volunteer. Okay, so here's Eris who got his Fruit Loops in their proper context. And then we just give him a little bit of milk here. And Eris, I'd like you, in the context of your wonderful married relationship, to enjoy some Fruit Loops, please, everybody. Eris, enjoying his Fruit Loops. In proper context, and you know what? Because they're in proper context, you can have as much as you want. So just keep going and going and going and going. Look at his stamina. Okay. That's what I'm going to ask you. That was, I shouldn't have said that. 
I told you when we started, it was only going to get worse. <laughs> okay, Pastor Kyle, put, put your hands out like this. Okay, so here we have Pastor Kyle. Do you like Fruit Loops, Pastor Kyle? Okay, just going to give you some Fruit Loops. Okay, fantastic. Pastor Kyle, going to put some milk on your Fruit Loops here. And Pastor Kyle, would you just eat some Fruit Loops? Okay, here we go. Fantastic. How do they taste? They taste great. Now, here's the point. Go ahead. Continue to eat as much as you'd like. Here's the truth with sex. In the moment, it tastes great. In God's context, it doesn't make a mess. And sex outside of God's context will make a mess in your life that you were cleaning up for years because you ignored his design. You can keep going. I mean, don't feel, you're done? Okay, you can just, draw. that's fine. Here, I got some wipes for you too. Listen, it, inside God's context, it tastes great, it's wonderful, and it's not gonna mess your life up. Outside of God's context and his plan and design, it might taste good in the moment, but it's gonna create a mess that you will have to deal with at some point, I promise you. You will have to deal with it. Can you give it, give it up for these guys? So true, right? Some of our friends and maybe some of our thoughts about sex have been, well, I don't, I don't like the boundaries that God has suggested. I remember being in Fort McMurray as a, a young 20-year-old and walking onto a Suncor site. And one of the very first things I would, I would do would be just, I, I had it in my mind that it's, it's a really dark place that I was going to let people know that I was a Christian. Not like screaming from the rooftops, but if anybody asked me what did I do on the weekend, it wasn't going to be like, oh, nothing. I'm like, I went to church, etc. Found out I was a Christian, okay? 21 years old. So do you believe in that, like, no sex before marriage stuff and saving yourself? I'm like, yeah, I do. But how do, you, how do you know you'll like what you get? Like, it's a piece of metal, right? And this is a very real argument that so many of our friends have about sex. Well, how, how will I know that I'll be satisfied if I don't test drive a few? This is the language that many people use, and you've probably heard it. But there was a study done, and I'm only going to read out a few stats because it, it can get... It can actually get a little um, PG to PG thirteen to R rated, okay? But a lie that has been told to our world, to our teenagers, to us, to adults, to everyone, that sex is better with more people—that is simply not true. There was a study done called the Case for Marriage. I just want to write, read a few. of married people have sex twice a week compared to 20% of single and uh, cohabiting men and women. 40% of married women said their sex life was emotionally and physically satisfied compared to 30% of single women. 50% of men are physically and emotionally satisfied versus 38% of cohabiting men and women. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. It makes a case for marriage. Now, I get that in the context of this room, this is a touchy topic because not everybody's married. There's people in this room that want to be married. 
and are not yet. There are people in this room that are married and still cleaning up mess. And as much as I'm loving this series, I also know that 25 to 30 minutes every Sunday doesn't dive into some of these questions deep enough. Because here's one thing that I have found about this. Is that God created sex. That God is for sex. And so many times we have a hard time comprehending that God is actually for sex because it's pleasurable and so many people don't equate God with being somebody that wants to bring us joy, somebody that wants to bring us pleasure, somebody that wants us to have happy moments in our life. And, and so the, we, we look at God as this person uh, or this, this being who set these lists of rules of rights and wrongs and, and don't do this and do this and do this. And we, we, we have this idea that God is like a God of oppression, a God of like taking our fun away, but that's never the case. And you look at the case for marriage, God actually wants to create a healthy sex life that our lives are way better. So when we're tackling the question that why is God anti-sex, well, the devil's done a really good job in getting our culture to believe a lie. Shereen, if you could just come back, that'd be awesome. To believe a lie about something that he created, that even in the, if it's in the boundaries, it doesn't make a mess, that we're not trying to clean up. But can I go as far as to say that God created intimacy between man and a woman inside of marriage to help us understand how we could be intimate with God himself. Not from a sexual, perverted kind of way. But there's something about two becoming one and giving your life and your body over to somebody else. That sounds a whole lot like what Jesus did for us. And one thing I know about Satan is that if he can do anything to distort God's view on something, he's going to do it. But it's up to us to bring light around this idea that God is not anti-sex, he's all for it. He created it. first command that was ever written in the Bible was go forth and multiply. Now how do you multiply? And can I even say that every time that somebody has sex, multiplication doesn't happen? But God was very aware that man and woman would be intimate having sex when he said, go forth and multiply. It's a very real question that many people ask and we are charged with bringing light. So as I was praying about this, knowing that it was kind of a, a different topic than many of us have probably ever heard in this context before. 
we probably heard it at work or at school or, or uh, maybe, maybe at home, but in church, maybe, maybe not. And maybe you have. But there are three areas that I, I felt God just saying that we, we need to look at and give people uh, an opportunity to make a conscious decision. This is number one, is that we've been taught that sex is bad, that it's wrong, that it's nasty. And in your mind, maybe even in your actions, we have abstained. If you're married, we have abstained from, from having intimacy in a physical way with our husband and wife, husband or wife, because we don't like the way it made us feel. See, it's really hard to be told from a child to a teenager to a young adult, it's wrong, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Get married, now go and enjoy it. It's like flipping, it's not like flipping a switch. The Bible talks about renewing of our mind. And because we haven't healthily, we haven't talked about sex in a healthy manner, our, sometimes our mind is distorted and actually us being in, in, in what God has ordained and, and call us into to, to be intimate with our, our wives and our, and our husbands, but we, we can't, it's really hard for us to rewire our minds because the feeling that we get after being intimate, we feel all dirty and stuff. I just felt like we need to pray for some renewing of minds for those here that are married. Because God wants us to be intimate with a husband and with wife. Because can I say it? God wants to show up in your lives in the most intimate moments. Second one is maybe you've made a mess of sex. Maybe you've lived in this idea that, man, I need to have more sexual partners, or maybe you've just, you're new to faith, and this is the first time you've heard anything about sex, but you've made a mess of it. And even this, this, uh, this illustration that was shown on the screen, you're kind of like, oh, that's so enlightening. It makes sense, and there's a mess all over. You try to clean it up, and now everything gets messy and smelly and dirty, and you're trying to pick up the pieces. Can I tell you the best person that can clean it up? Jesus Christ. He can restore wasted past years mistakes you can but you have to welcome them into your mess sometimes that's not very fun and maybe you're here that this question that this belief that God is anti-sex actually held you back from giving your life to Christ because you're like, I have these hormones and I, I want to be sexually active, but God obviously doesn't like sex. And if that's the case of being a Christian, well, I, I don't want anything to do with it because I, I, I know I want to have sex in my life. And I, I'm not trying to make light of it, but the fact is, is that that, that question that God is anti-sex is a complete lie from the devil, that God is for sex. He is, he is encouraging it within the boundaries because he wants you to have a purposeful, fulfilled life that can impact the kingdom. And guess what? You can do that married. You can do it single. But you have to make sure that it's in the context of biblical parameters. There are so many questions that you may have about faith in Jesus. Can I encourage you to explore those questions for yourself? God is not afraid of your questions. Rather, he welcomes them. 
Thanks so much for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play and be sure to never miss an episode. If you find these talks beneficial, would you rate and review them? That would help others get connected to these kinds of talks. Have a great day. I can't wait to hang with you again next week.